July 12th, circled on your calendars. Yes, that's right. July 12th, 7-12, is going to be Internet D-Day of sorts for many of the people out there listening to this broadcast right now as the American ISPs get set to launch a massive copyright spying scheme on July 12th. So once again, I hope you are already embraced for that and all the implications that are going to spring forth from that. Because it is going to be, well, a uh, wild and wacky ride, I think, over the coming year as, unfortunately, my 2011 prediction of big trends for 2012 has come all too startlingly true. And we see Internet censorship becoming the dominant meme of 2012 in all its various forms. So let me welcome you to the program. Once again, this is Corbett Report Radio, and I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, broadcasting to you tonight, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan. So once again, thank you for tuning in and investing your time and your mental energy on this broadcast. And I hope to not disappoint tonight as we broach, I think, one of the most important subjects that are out there right now, which is the subject of intellectual property. And it all stems back, or at least the interest, the, the, the in, is resurgent or insurgent interest in this topic stems back to the question of Internet uh, censorship, which unfortunately we've seen unfolding for months now in the SOPA PIPA nightmare that became the mega upload nightmare that's set to become a new nightmare altogether. And we'll take this from rawstory.com from March 15, 2012. American ISPs to launch massive copyright spying scheme on July 12th. And uh, this article reads, in part, quote, If you download potentially copyrighted software videos or music, your Internet service provider has been watching, and they're coming for you. Specifically, they're coming for you on Thursday, July 12th. That's the date when the largest, the nation's largest ISPs will all voluntarily implement a new anti-piracy plan that will engage network operators in the largest digital spying scheme in history and see some users' bandwidth completely cut off until they sign an agreement saying they will not download copyrighted materials. Word of the start date has been largely kept secret since ISPs announced their plans last June. The deal was brokered by the Recording Industry Association of America, a.k.a. the RIAA, and the Motion Picture Association of America, a.k.a. the MPAA, and coordinated by the Obama administration. The same groups have weighed in heavily on controversial inter- Internet policies around the world with similar facilitation by the Obama administration's State Department. So, yes, friends, it is going to be July 12th. There's going to be a big crackdown. And, yes, they developed this all behind the scenes with the ISPs, with the Obama administration, and, of course, with the MPAA and RIA breathing down both their necks, or perhaps more accurately, owning and controlling both uh, both parties there. I mean, let's not uh, beat around the bush. The lobbyists control Washington, and unfortunately, in this case, what they want is to prevent you from using your Internet connection how you see fit to share your own files. And that, my friends, is the rather, rather sticky conundrum we find ourselves in these days. So I do hope to be able to bring up tonight's guest. Uh, he's not on the line yet. We're trying to get him on the line. It's, I'm 
trying to talk to Stefan Kinsella of StefanKinsella.com, who wrote uh, the one of the preeminent works on this called Against Intellectual Property, which is available freely online, and I will suggest that you go to StefanKinsella.com for more information about that. And hopefully we'll be able to get him online. He's still no sign of him yet. But at any rate, we will be talking about intellectual property on the program tonight. Copyrights and trademarks and all of the things stemming from that. So if you'd like to get in, also you can bring it, bring your uh, side uh, two cents to this conversation. 1-800-313-9443. And we'll get you up and on the air. Sit right there. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. here on Corbett Report Radio, still trying to hunt down and track down our, our guest for tonight, Stefan Kinsella of StefanKinsella.com. No sign of him yet, so we will continue trying to get him behind the scenes. But until then, let's continue talking about intellectual property. As I say, it is becoming the battleground for Internet censorship. And unfortunately, we've seen the SOPA and PIPA legislation uh, getting a lot of notoriety in the last few months, which was good, and it really got a lot of attention on the issue of Internet censorship and what's behind it. But, of course, we saw so many different websites and people mobilize behind that fight, and it seems that once that fight was won and the Congress critters backed down from SOPA and PIPA, it seemed like they just lied down and, and went back to sleep. And, unfortunately, this is a war of attrition, as I pointed out many times. And when we stand up, they back down. But when we lie down, they stand up. So, unfortunately, that's what we see happening. And as I indicated there in the first part of tonight's broadcast, the American ISPs have been working secretly behind the scenes with the MPAA and the RIAA and the Obama White House to launch a massive copyright spying scheme that's going to be hitting ISPs near you in the United States on July 12th. And they're going to start uh, sending warnings to anyone who is going to be caught, I guess, uh, browsing through or attempting to download quote-unquote copyrighted material. And I put that in quotation marks because even if we buy into the entire intellectual property scheme and all of the things associated with that, the question of what is copyrighted and who controls that copyright and how things like ISPs respond to claims over copyrights is an extremely thorny issue because you get such an incredibly unbelievable, and yet it is true, things like the recent uh, takedown, uh, or not takedown, the recent flagging of a video on YouTube for copyright infringement it was a video that a, a person took outdoors, and there was sounds of birds chirping in the background, and this person was actually flagged for copyright violation. There was a company claiming to own the sounds of birds chirping in the background of that video, and that was a, it wasn't even a, a stock you know audio type of uh, thing. It wasn't wasn't anything like that. It was actual audio of real birds on a real video of a real person out there in out there in nature, and it was flagged for copyright abuse. And I believe I'm not sure, but I believe the person challenged that, and the uh, the company had to back down. But apparently, there is a company that does have some uh, some stock audio clips of birds tweeting or something, and so they have some sort of algorithm in the YouTube back door 
that uh, YouTube now automatically scans every single video for audio of birds chirping. And I guess if they find it, they will flag your video as potentially copyright infringing. So we start to see the types of incredibly thorny issues that are raised by things like this, let alone the idea of the ISPs. Now, are they going to be spying on everyone's Internet traffic and looking at what you're browsing at in order to, to, to determine whether you're attempting to access, quote-unquote, copyrighted material? I mean, how is this actually going to work? Because certainly the ISP snooping on everyone's Internet uh, activity is absolutely, I mean, there's serious ethical and legal problems with that. So we'll have to see how this all happens and, and how it plays out. But unfortunately, given the climate that we're in with people being distracted by petty issues about the Kardashians and the Rihannas of the world, people don't care or don't know about things like this massive copyright spying scheme. So that's why it's important to bring this to people's attention and let them know that if they value the free and open Internet by which, for example, I'm coming to you tonight from all the way from tomorrow afternoon here in Japan, I mean, if you value things like this, the remarkable amount of information that we are able to spread, disseminate, learn, and and otherwise take in via the Internet, you have to be concerned about things like this. And what does it all rest on? It all rests on intellectual property. The idea that there are ideas that can be somehow limited so that you cannot use that idea or you cannot take that work with that idea in it and use it for your own purposes which is a bizarre concept in so many ways, but it's one that we've just been, we've taken for granted, really. We've, we've learned uh, to, to basically take this as part of the, uh, the fabric of society so that I think in this day and age, it's difficult to imagine what a world without intellectual property laws would look like. And of course, this goes back to the foundation of the Constitution of the U.S., as I pointed out in the most recent episode of my podcast, which I will definitely direct listeners to because I think, I hope it contains some valuable resources on this subject. I talked about lessons in resistance, open source, the idea of the open source movement uh, as it originally developed in software, but of course, as it's starting to develop in so many different walks of life as a way of combating this idea of intellectual property and the idea that people can own ideas themselves. And intellectual property is one of those concepts that it can be taken to such a ridiculous level that it's self-evidently absolutely stupid. And one of the uh, the ideas that people who are refuting intellectual property like to, to give is the idea that the first human being who decided to or developed a, or went out of the cave and decided to build a house... Does he and his progeny thereafter forever own the idea of building a house? Every time you build a house, do you have to pay a certain amount of money to, to this person for the use of that idea? Or this person's great, 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 grandchildren? Of course not. That's ridiculous. And no one would go for that. But somehow we've developed this system whereby somehow certain people, because they have uh, lawyers and time to, to file these, these types of complicated legal suits, are able to try to maintain uh, some sort of abstract idea of copyright on ideas themselves or patents even. And unfortunately, this was woven right into the fabric of the Constitution itself during the enumeration of powers of the Congress back in Article 1, Section 8, where they're enumerating the different uh, uh, powers that Congress is able to use, well, they also talk about uh, copyright and patent. 
So, of course, that, that's the infamous quote-unquote copyright clause in Article 1, Section 8, which starts with the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, borrow money, regulate commerce, etc., etc. And, of course, one of those clauses is the Congress shall have power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. So it sounds so wonderful, and it sounds as American as apple pie when it's framed in the Constitution like that. Well, promoting the progress of science and useful arts. And, of course, I think a lot of people understand, yes, uh, uh, both writers and, and producers and, and, and directors and all of those people involved in those creative arts, also the scientists and the people who are in developing patents and, and inventions and things that are useful for society, well, they deserve some sort of benefit for that. So, I mean, certainly uh, people who create something uh, very useful can't usually can't keep up with or can't compete with the copies of their discovery or invention because they invested all that time and effort and all of that blood, sweat, and tears into developing just the uh, the perfect fill-in-the-blank here, whatever it is, play or song or, uh, or desk or whatever invention or act they've come up with. They've put all that effort into it, and, and then they go out to sell it, and immediately people are copying it because it's a good idea and selling it for even less because they don't have to recoup all of the costs that they put into making it. So it does, it does on its face, seem to be a very useful thing. Well, we need some sort of way of protecting these people from competition for a little while in order that they can at least recoup the costs and give them some sort of incentive for actually engaging in this work. And I think that's the general understanding by which people sort of internalize intellectual property. Not many of us actually think about it on a day-to-day basis, but it does purvey our society to such an extent that we all seem to take ideas like that on board as, well, pretty much for granted. But I'm here today to say there is very much a different way of looking at this, and one of those ways is represented by people like Stefan Kinsella who should be on tonight. Uh, it looks like we're not going to get him on. It looks like he might not be available. But uh, but he has written extensively on this. So once again, I would direct you over to stefankinsella.com, where he has written extensively about intellectual property and the nexus of libertarianism and austro-anarchism and intellectual property, or why intellectual property really should not exist. And I will direct you to, uh, of course, all the publications that are available there. He has lots and lots of different articles and books and all sorts of information on the subject, uh, speeches and things that he's made. Uh, one in particular that I'd like to start focusing on tonight is called Intellectual Property and Libertarianism. And it's an excerpt from Liberty Magazine of December 2009. And it starts with the, uh, the aphorism, Intellectual Property is a Contradiction in Terms which I think is a good way of trying to frame the debate, because ultimately this does come down to the idea that ideas themselves can be a form of property in the same way that a desk can, or a, or a house, or, or whatever, you name your item, a coat, whatever it may be. Well, we can understand how that can be property and can be owned by someone, but does that apply to ideas that spring out of people's heads? And if so, how can that be? And and why do we have these arbitrary things where 20 years is just right for a copyright or, you know, 50 years or whatever your mark you want to put on it? I mean, how do we arrive at such ridiculous things and put them into law and then abide by them as if they have any actual meaning? So this is really, of course, the fundamental issue on which all of this 
attempt and thrust at internet censorship is is tending in this uh, increasingly uh, post-mega upload world, shall we say. So we're going to get more into this concept of intellectual property, libertarianism, what it means to copyright something, and uh, what it means to infringe on that, and what should or should not be the consequences of that. Many very important issues to get into, and as I say, the phone lines are open. We have one caller waiting on the line we'll get to after this break. And more calls, of course, always appreciated. 1-800-313-9443. So stay right there. We'll be back to talk more about intellectual property right after this. the intellectual property lawyers have been uh, been around to clean out her closet, so to speak. But uh, but unfortunately, that is increasingly likely to become the case as we enter the paradigm of internet file sharing and the counter paradigm of the intellectual property lawyers who are well we're ready to feast on the carcass of the average person out there who's uh, who's believes themselves to be sharing electronic items which they which they own but are now uh, facing multi-million dollar lawsuits for having done it. And of course, it's all about setting the legal precedent so that basically they can control and track and trace everything that happens on the Internet, which is a win-win-win for everyone, including, of course, the MPAA and the RIAA, but also the uh, the White House and all the other uh, institutions that are set up to try to basically put fetters on everyone's liberty and to try to track, trace, and control everything they're doing at all times, well, this is a perfect opportunity for them to do so in the name of a law that very few people really know much about or care much about, and that's intellectual property law. So that's what we're taking a look at tonight, intellectual property and the internet censorship paradigm. And, of course, uh, much more to be said on this, and we will be getting into, for example, more about Stefan Kinsella's article on intellectual property and libertarianism, But before we do so, let's go to the uh, phone lines. And once again, the phone lines are open at 1-800-313-9443. And we have Arthur in Georgia waiting patiently on the line. So, Arthur, thank you for phoning in tonight. What's on your mind? Oh, good evening, Mr. Corbett. Good evening. Um, You know, I got thinking, you were talking about this little spy spy game we're going to be playing with downloading copyright material and well, it raises a question, which I, I, I'm hoping you have an answer for, but also I want to point out something, too, to, to remind people of something. Now, the question is pretty simple. Does this mean that there are going to be any, like, you're familiar with file-to-file sharing, P2P file sharing? Yes, I am, peer-to-peer. That's right. If, um, what I've downloaded or people have downloaded off of my hard drive through this process already if that's what they're going to be looking at or if it's just going to be or or like maybe something i downloaded a month ago from youtube or is it going to be from that point on and then the point i want to bring out is because you know because i find it very odd to figure they're going to charge me with a crime after they pass some kind of law it's weird um but 
And I hope that's not what they're trying to do. But this brings me to a point of what is this going to do for researchers like myself, and I'm sure like you and, well, probably every host on RBN, uh, when we're researching something and, like, say, NDAA, and we know in California a lot of their laws are copyrighted, and so if that still applies to the federal government legislation, if that is copyrighted, then just downloading the NDAA in a PDF format would be a violation of law, would it not? Well, you raise a very important point, because once they get this paradigm in place, all it takes is for them to, to copyright any material they don't want you to have your hands on, and it will be illegal for you to acquire it in any form, through any method. So you're exactly right to worry about things like that. And obviously they're going to start with a much slower rollout, and it's going to be more about this type of you know piracy of Hollywood films and the like in order to get the public on board with it. But I think you're right. That's exactly the, the type of paradigm we're heading to. On the, uh, on, with regards to your question, uh, some more information about the, the process that's going to be taking place is from, uh, arstechnica.com. They had a write-up on this, RIAA and ISPs to police your traffic this summer. And it seems to, uh, to indicate that the start date for this policing of the internet traffic is going to be July 12th. So it, at this point, it doesn't seem to be, uh, retroactive. But, uh, there certainly have been retroactively invoked laws before. And, uh, and one wouldn't be surprised to see them starting to do this. But it depends also on your own ISP and whether they even, how long they collect your traffic and how long they store it for and things like that. And each ISP is slightly different. But it's kind of interesting. I mean, basically every major ISP in the U.S. has already signed up and onto this with AT&T and Cablevision and Comcast and Time Warner and Verizon. So pretty okay, much well, everyone in the U.S. is going to be affected by this. All right, I'm, I'm a little bit of a dumb, ignorant redneck. When you say ISP, would that be the phone company that provides me with my Internet service? If they're providing you with the Internet uh, service, the actual you know cable or whatever it is you, you use, that then that's uh, your ISP. All right, that's, that's what I was thinking. I just wanted to be sure. All right, yep. man, you, you uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, Lad. Great show. All right, thank you, Arthur. Um, and, and yeah, excellent, excellent questions and excellent points because once again, the entire point of this paradigm is to make it so that any information that they want to squirrel away into the little black box, well, they can do so just by copywriting it. And, uh, it's, it, it beggars the imagination to think that they're going to start doing this with, with government laws and things like that. But, uh, but we already know that, of course, they do so much of their stuff in their, their black books off the record that we never have access to anyway. So, this is just another layer of formality of the uh, the police state that we're already living in. But again, more more information about this that actually seems to clarify one of the things that I had questions about comes from the Ars Technica article, where they say that uh, uh, it's actually going to apply to ISPs uh, monitoring their networks. So, so it seems that actually they're going to be uh, the. RIA and MPAA are going to be monitoring the traffic on BitTorrent and things like that and then reporting it to the ISP who's then going to monitor what you're doing. So so we'll see how this plays out again and I hope people will start kicking up a fuss about this like they did with SOPA and PIPA. But on that note, we'll come back with more details right after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. All 
All right, friends, we're back here on Corporate Report Radio going over intellectual property and libertarianism. And unfortunately, our guest, Stefan Kinsella, is completely missing in action, so it looks like he won't be joining us tonight. But once again, I would invite you to check out Stefan Kinsella's work at stefankinsella.com. Of course, the link to that and all the articles we're talking about tonight will be up in the show notes for tonight's episode at corbettreport.com slash radio shortly after the broadcast airs tonight. And just before the break there, we were talking to Arthur in Georgia about the way that this is going to be implemented. And it looks like the Ars Technica article on this issue has been updated with some more details about how this might actually work. So let's just look at that article in a little bit more depth to see what we're talking about with this July 12th crackdown of Internet traffic in the United States, where they're going to start monitoring all traffic for potential copyright violations. So this article, again, RIAA and ISPs to police your traffic this summer from ArsTechnica.com, March 15th. During a panel discussion held for U.S. publishers this week, RIA chairman Kerry Sherman said his association and a number of ISPs, including AT&T, Cablevision, Comcast, Time Warner Cable, and Verizon, will begin policing traffic to crack down on piracy starting this summer. And it goes on to say that uh, the expected start date for this traffic monitoring is July 12th. And then it says, quote, the system involves major labels monitoring BitTorrent and other peer-to-peer networks for copyright infringement, and then reporting that infringement to ISPs who will monitor their networks for the transgressors. Then the ISP will send goon squads out to capture transgressors and bring them back to the compound for re-education. Just kidding. Sort of. Actually, once an ISP has determined that you're accessing pirated material, there will be an initial education step. That is actually in quotation marks in this article, folks. So I think that is actually wording from this actual statement. Initial education step in which customers are informed that they're engaging in an illegal act. A customer may get one or two of these education notices. And if the pirating doesn't stop, they'll be issued another warning. If that doesn't take the ISP will issue a mitigation measure copyright alert, which could involve throttling or curtailing the connection, although it won't yet lead to a total cutoff. And then the system still has several holes. Peer-to-peer services will be the most affected here, and materials downloaded using a VPN downloaded from an obscure torrent site or downloaded from media portals will likely be unaffected. And then, um, interestingly enough, the update says, the RIAA tells us that Kerry Sherman did not say July 12th, as reported by CNET, and that the system will begin sometime in the second quarter of the year as ISPs get their own infrastructure online. So actually, yes, the July 12th date may be, may be misinformation, may be true. It looks like they're probably not going to tell you they're going to start doing it until they start doing it. So interestingly enough, they're now denying the July 12th date, but uh, but we know sometime in the second quarter, so anytime basically from, from April on, we're looking to uh, to have this complete policing of the Internet start, and perhaps it will start at different ISPs on different dates. But regardless, uh, look for those uh, little initial education steps uh, arriving in your inbox soon if, if they dare to catch you with quote-unquote copyrighted material. And once again, this does go back to the fundamental issue of intellectual property and copyright and what this all means. And as I've been saying, Stefan Kinsella has uh, done some great work on this, which is why I invited him on the program for tonight. And uh, the next best thing, I guess, to interviewing him directly 
would be to read a little bit of an interview with him. And there was an interview that was posted to the Daily Bell not so long ago with Stefan Kinsella talking about libertarianism and why intellectual property doesn't exist. So I'll direct you to that article, uh, that interview. It's quite a lengthy one, but let's just read an excerpt so we can get a bit of Kinsella's thinking on this issue. Uh, they're talking about intellectual property and and why uh, why basically why he holds the idea that he does that intellectual property itself is uh, a contradiction in terms. And the Daily Bell asks him, "How do you think artists and writers feel about it? What do they do to make a living if they do not receive royalties?" And Kinsella responds, "Well, sharing is not piracy, and copying is not theft, and competition is not theft either. See, intellectual pro- property advocates hate competition." And there's links to all of those in this uh, article. But people are used to thinking in these terms due to state and special interest-inspired propaganda to the contrary. Most artists and writers do not make much money from copyright. If they are successful at all, they typically go through a publisher who makes most of the profits and owns the copyrights anyway. Luckily, technology is allowing writers and musicians to bypass the publishing and music industry gatekeepers. There are any number of models artists can use to profit off of their talent and artistry. It is not up to the state to protect them from competition. Musicians can obviously get paid for performing, and having their music copied and pirated helps them in this respect by making them more well-known, more popular. As Cory Doctorow has noted, for pretty much every writer, the big problem isn't piracy, it's obscurity. Artists are just entrepreneurs. It's up to them to figure out how or if they can make a monetary profit from their passion, from their calling, as I discussed above. Sometimes they can. Musicians can sell music even in the face of piracy, or they can sell their services, concerts, etc. Painters and other artists can profit in similar ways. A novelist could use Kickstarter for a sequel or get paid to consult on a movie version. See conversation with an author about copyright and publishing in a free society. Authors of nonfiction, such as academic articles, do not even get paid today, but it enhances their reputations and helps them land jobs in academia. For example, inventors have an incentive to invent to make better products that outcompete the competition, for a while, or they are hired in the R&D department of a corporation that is always trying to innovate, and so on. And if you cannot make your calling your career, then find a way, as director Francis Ford Coppola has observed. You have to remember that it's only a few hundred years, if that much, that artists are working with money. Artists never got money. Artists had a patron, either the leader of the state or the Duke of Weimar or somewhere, or the church, the Pope, or they had another job. I have another job. I make films. No one tells me what to do, but I make the money in the wine industry. You work another job and get up at five in the morning and write your script. So there, there you have it, folks. Uh, uh, at least part of the the fundamental basis for destroying the idea that the only way to make money, the only way to profit, is to have these copyright laws protecting everything that these uh, artists and directors and inventors and and scientists are doing. Well, quite contrary to that, there are lots of different ways for making money off of useful products and inventions and uh, songs and, and books and all of that sort of thing. And even if it were to be uh, less money going to the arts and sciences because of this. Well, who says it's the the job, the role of the state or the government to do that? 
the idea of a free market society is that the market values what it values and it values it in the way that it does by putting a price on everything. And if the price for, say, writing a, a play that uh, a few hundred people go to see is very little, well, then that means that plays are not something that, that people really want to spend their money on. And thus, you can do it, but it doesn't mean you're ever going to get rich doing it. So the idea of uh, of copyrights and, and protections in that sense seem to go against the idea of pretty much most of what libertarianism argues, which, of course, is that the state is not there to really do anything that uh, that any individual can't or shouldn't be able to do. And if I can't go up to a gun and demand that you give me money to write a play, then I don't understand why uh, why a state would suddenly have that power, that ability to say, oh, you can't you can't copy that. That that's mine, or that's that person's. So I'm going to enforce it with the uh, with a gun. And of course, that's that's sort of the uh, the the extreme parody example. But that gets to the idea of what intellectual property is and how it's enforced. So let's let's switch to a different Kinsella article, intellectual property and libertarianism, where he's writing a little bit about this issue and why IP has become so ingrained in our society. And uh, once again, this can be found in Liberty Magazine of December 2009, and there is a link from stefankinsella.com, and of course I'll put the link in the show notes for tonight's episode as well, corbettreport.com slash radio. And he writes that IP is widely seen as basically legitimate. Sure, there have always been criticisms of existing IP, that's intellectual property, laws and policies. You can point to hundreds of obviously ridiculous patents and hundreds of obviously outrageous abuses. There are absurd patents on ways of swinging on a swing and faster-than-light communications and one-click purchasing. There are $100 million and billion-dollar patent lawsuit awards. There are millions of dollars in copyright liability imposed on consumers for downloading a few songs. Books are even banned, quite literally, in the name of copyright. The terms of patents, about 17 years, and especially copyrights, which expire 70 years after the author's death, or 95 years in the case of works made for hire, are ridiculously long, and Congress keeps extending them at the behest of Mickey Mouse, a.k.a. the Disney Company. Copyright is now received automatically, whether you want it or not, and is hard to get rid of. The Patent Office is an inefficient government bureaucracy, and the laws that govern it are arbitrary, ambiguous, and vague, generating more work for me. Thanks. Because uh, for the listeners out there, Stefan Kinsella is an IP lawyer, so he, he actually gets work from all of this ridiculous, uh, arbitrary, ambitious, and vague law. And he cont- continues, So there are plenty of reasons to oppose the current IP system, as well as the abuses of the system. There are many calls for reform of IP, just as there are always calls for reform of the tax code, welfare, public education, and the way we are fighting the current war, but I became opposed not just to ridiculous patents and outrageous IP lawsuits, but to patent and copyright per se, root and branch. IP laws should be abolished, not reformed, just like the Americans with Disabilities Act and the tax code. Why exactly is this? What is the libertarian case against IP? To answer this question requires a clear, coherent understanding of libertarian principles. I just take a brief detour here to sketch out the libertarian framework. And that follows, uh, they're, they're in, in that article talking about libertarianism and property rights and things like this. 
basically uh, things that are covered also in that audio book that I mentioned earlier, another great resource against intellectual property, again, available from stephanconsola.com, and I will also put a link in the show notes. But back to libertarianism on IP, intellectual property. Given the libertarian understanding of property rights, it is clear that the institutions of patent and copyright are simply indefensible. Copyrights pertain to original works, such as books, articles, movies, and computer programs. They are grants by the state that permit the copyright holder to prevent others from using their own property, example, ink and paper, in certain ways. Patents grant rights in inventions, useful machines or processes. They are grants by the state that permit the patentee to use the state's court system to prohibit others from using their own property in certain ways, from reconfiguring their property according to a certain pattern or design described in the patent, or from using their property, including their own bodies, in a certain sequence of steps described in the patent. In both cases, the state is assigning to A, sorry, the state is assigning to A a right to control B's property. A can tell B not to do certain things with it. Since ownership is the right to control, IP grants to A co-ownership of B's property. This clearly cannot be justified under libertarian principles. B already owns his property. With respect to him, A is a latecomer. B is the one who appropriated the property, not A. It is too late for A to homestead B's property. B already did that. The resource is no longer unowned. Granting A ownership rights in B's property is quite obviously incompatible with basic libertarian principles. It is nothing more than redistribution of wealth. IP is unlibertarian and unjustified. And once again, that's just a very, very short segment of a very, very long article that goes into a lot of depth and, uh, and a lot more of the issues behind this. But I think that goes to show some of the fundamental problems with this entire idea of copyright and patent and all of the things that go along with that. Because ultimately what it means is that somebody out there can tell you what you can do or not do with your property. So one example of that is this DRM, the uh, the type of technology that, that the companies have tried to implement on CDs and DVDs, etc., to stop people from... Cop- making copies of their own discs. So you go out and you buy a CD and you want to back that up to your computer so that you can go and, and listen to it on the road or whatever, and yet you can't do that because of this technology which prevents you from doing that. Obviously, that type of technology is in your face absurd and it's ridiculous and it's tyrannical, but uh, but even more so the idea that the, the type of technology that would help people to crack that and to gain access to their own property, the disc or whatever that they bought, is itself illegal. Is is just another layer of stupidity that we find ourselves involved in when it comes to this. And uh, and once again, I mean, it's just it's just beggars the imagination how this all came about. But unfortunately, I think we can see it coming, like so many other things, step by step in a slow accumulation over the years and decades. And as that interview, or sorry, as that article uh, with uh, from Stefan Kinsella makes clear, of course, a lot of this is done completely and utterly in the benefit of people like Mickey Mouse, a.k.a. Disney, who has famously managed to extend copyright ownership laws further and further and further as uh, as basically you know the Mickey Mouse copyright uh, it comes up for renewal uh, or it comes up to to for ex- expiry and uh, we can't have Mickey Mouse in the public domain cuz can you think of how many people would try to profit off of that and 
and make, uh, you know, all sorts of cute uh, items to sell to kids with Mickey Mouse on it and, and make their own profit from it. Well, we can't have that. Therefore, basically every time it comes up for expiry, they'll just extend, the Congress will rubber stamp an, expira- uh, an extension on the expiration of copyright. And that's unfortunately pretty much how this system works. So, uh, so as just another way of demonstrating the stupidity of some of these laws by which they're seeking to now have the justification to actually monitor all traffic on the web, I'll direct you again, as I did in my recent podcast episode on this subject, to an excellent website that makes fun of this, uh, this entire concept in a way that I think it's deserving of. It's called sendthemyourmoney.com. And it's uh, it's a campaign to send the RIAA and the MPAA the billions of dollars worth of property they claim has been stolen by the sharing of copies of files of uh, Hollywood movies or what have you. And uh, the, the inspiration for this campaign is absolutely brilliant, I think. It comes from Japanese history in which uh, hundreds of years ago there was a Japanese judge named Oka Tadasuke, and he handled a lawsuit by a paranoid innkeeper who accused a poor student of literally stealing the fumes of his cooking by eating when the innkeeper was cooking to flavor his dull food. So the student was was eating while the innkeeper was cooking, smelling the fumes of the uh, the cooking that the innkeeper was doing, and the innkeeper wanted to sue this student for stealing the smell of his food. So, um, so this judge, this Oka, his friends, his colleagues told him to throw the case out. It's ridiculous. But he decided to hear the case. And in the end, he resolved the matter by ordering the student to pass the money he had in one hand to his other and ruling that the price of the smell of food is the sound of money. So basically, the sound of the money changing hands was enough uh, to uh, to pay for the, the smell of the food. And so in this campaign, they're encouraging people to send the RIA and the MPAA electronic copies of money, to send them pictures or ASCII art of money to pay for the files which have been shared. I think it's a brilliant idea that exposes some of the stupidity of this entire intellectual property paradigm. And on that note, we'll come back to finish up with tonight's episode right after this. Great, welcome back, friends. We are here on Corbett Report Radio this Monday evening, and we've been going over intellectual property and its role in the new internet censorship paradigm. So once again, unfortunately, our guest was a no-show for tonight, but I would still invite people to check out his website, stefankinsella.com, where, as I say, there's all sorts of information and resources on this topic where you can explore the uh, the real roots of this issue and the problem in much greater depth than we were able to go into with just myself, unfortunately. But, uh, but once again, Stefan Kinsola has been working on this for quite a long time and has done quite a lot of work on it. And I think it, uh, it certainly benefits us to start paying more attention to this issue as, unfortunately, we do enter this paradigm where copyright and patent infringement and all these types of uh, intellectual property laws are going to be more and more used as, at the very least, an excuse to try to clamp down on, on our free and open Internet, amongst other things. And, uh, and of course, that's sort of the holy grail for those uh, would-be tyrants out there right now who, of course, want to keep their hands on the spigot of power and control, and they cannot do that in the paradigm of a free Internet where information is freely exchanged 
Because uh, as we know, the parasites at the top who control the system are absolutely scared to death of a free uh, humanity really coming together to collaborate on, 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 on everything. And once we get rid of that intellectual property framework and that paradigm, it is amazing the types of things that people can accomplish. So I'll just point you to a couple of resources on this uh, to finish up tonight. Because once again, there has been some incredible work that's been be- being done uh, of late on on this topic in just so many different fields. And as I say, this doesn't just apply to such things as uh, as the you know the internet and 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 Hollywood movies and, and books and things like that. But of course, as we start talking about Monsanto and their paradigm of trying to infect the world with their crops, which they claim to have patents over, because unfortunately, Diamond v. Chakrabarty, a Supreme Court decision from the early 80s, has given people the power to patent living organisms so long as they have been engineered in some way. Well, of course, Monsanto has taken that fully to the hilt and has uh, basically tried to infect the entire biosphere with their crops, which we know are, of course, deadly, but at any rate, uh, they're also starting to take over, basically, m- much of uh, much of the, the biosphere itself. And once they do, they, w- they will claim ownership of it. So we have things like open source ecology coming along, and that's an, a fascinating concept. Again, I touched on in my most recent episode of my podcast, and I hope people will go check that out. There's a great talk that Mark and uh, Jakubowski gave on that concept of open source ecology that I think people should look into. And uh, and also I had a listener send in a link to a, a documentary that I hadn't seen before, but I would recommend people take a look at it. It's called Everything is a Remix. It's available at everythingisaremix.info. And I think it makes a very important, very prudent point that everything is a remix and that we put too much faith in this idea that has been constructed that ideas and and creations and works of art etc all come out of this this mystical magical ether called inspiration and thus it's this this thing that has to be captured and put in a bottle and can never be redone when this documentary makes the point no everyone is working from things that have gone before and putting them together and transforming them into into new things but still they have that old thing within them so exactly in the same way when people use and cut up and, and you work with copyrighted material, they are still making something new, and we need a new paradigm to, to wrap our heads around that. On that note, we'll leave you there. Once again, please check the show notes for tonight's episode for all of that, corporatereport.com slash radio. And of course, I'm living proof that you don't need copyright to profit from what you're doing. All of my work is freely available, and I rely on the support of listeners. So once again, to all the subscribers and DVD buyers out there, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. And on that note, let's leave it there for tonight. I'm looking forward to coming to you again tomorrow night, so I'll see you in 23 hours.